priceless, we were born for greatness. Good morning, everybody. Hey, let's celebrate these baptisms one more time. What God's doing in the lives of these families. Amen. Amen. All right, so I'm, uh, I'm excited because today we're, we're starting a new series called Inverted Greatness. And, you know, if you think about it, it's easier to be famous today than any other time in human history, right? Because just one little video from your phone on TikTok or Instagram, and you can instantly be known literally all around the world. And if you don't believe that, that, that is, that's something that just recently happened to me, okay? Because many of you know our youngest daughter had our first grandchild, and we're fired up. And I remember when she called me and said, hey, baby's here and I rushed up to the hospital. It was still a little COVID, you know, sensitive, you know. And so I, I went to the hospital and they let me in the room. And what I didn't know is that they were actually uh, capturing this on video. Well, uh, Abby took that, cropped it, put some music on it, put it on TikTok and, uh, well, here's a picture. We have now 5.3 million views on TikTok. So that makes me TikTok famous, all right? <laughs> the, the only problem is I have a mask on and nobody knows it's me, all right? So, so God was like, okay, you can be famous, but nobody knows it, so you can't handle that, Craig. Anyway, so uh, that, that can happen at any moment, right? And I think because of the instant uh, ability to be famous, to be known, to be great, that, that we have a whole generation that's seeking that. In fact, Forbes magazine came out with an article a couple years ago about um, millennial generation, Gen Z, and their desire for this instant fame and what they would do to get it. In fact, in that article, according to what they studied on millennials, they said that one out of 10 millennials would rather be famous than, than have, be a college graduate. One out of three would rather be famous than have a prestigious and successful career. Uh, check this out. One out of 12, and this, this is true, this is what the article said, would, would cut off their family if they knew they would be famous. One out of 12. Uh, when they asked the Gen Z what, what fame is to them, they, they said that fame for them was not anything with regard to what we would call traditional media like movies or books or magazines or radio, that it was only on Instagram, it was only on social media. That's what fame looked like. And uh, so yeah, we have this desire to be famous, this desire to be great, and it's even swelling in those generations. But here's the question. What if God's view of greatness is very different than ours? What if the way Jesus sees greatness is, is upside down, is inverted from our current view of greatness? And that's what I want to talk about uh, today. So get your Bible, open it up. Uh, John chapter 13 is where we're going to be today. If you didn't bring a Bible, there's one at your seat. And of course, if you don't own a Bible, take that one as our gift uh, to you, okay? John chapter 13, and we're going to be over the next four weeks in the upper room, and we're going to be learning what Jesus has to say about greatness. But John 13 really opens up the discussion about about greatness. So let's just jump right on into it, okay? John 13, uh, beginning at verse 1. This is the word of God. Amen. 
Before the Passover festival, Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from this world to the Father. And having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Now when it was time for supper, the devil had already put into the heart of Judas, Simon Iscariot's son, to betray him. And Jesus knew that the Father had given everything into his hands and that he had come from God and that he was going back uh, to God. Stop right there. You know, it's interesting, John says, his hour had come, speaking of Jesus. Over nine times in the Gospels, we hear this phrase, his hour, his hour. When Jesus turned water into wine at Cana, remember, it was Jesus' mom that told the servants, do everything he tells you, and Jesus fixed the problem. And Jesus said, mom, my hour has not yet come. Later on, when the Pharisees were trying to capture Jesus, trying to grab him, try, trying to hurt him, it, he would slip away because his hour had not come. But here John says that his hour has come. Look at it. His hour came to depart from this world and go to the Father. This was his final hour. This was his last hour. Jesus knew at this point that Satan had already put in the heart of Judas to betray him. Jesus knew that the next agenda on God's plan was the cross and the shadow of the cross was now uh, looming over him that in just a few hours that he would be suffering and dying. And in this last moment with his disciples, he knows this, they're never gonna have this kind of relationship again. It's never gonna be quite be like this again. In these last final moments, Jesus chose to talk about greatness. Now you might think, well, that's kind of an odd subject, right? To be your last conversation with the people that you love. But I think Jesus talked about greatness because greatness is what was on their mind. If you roll the tape back earlier than when they were back up in the Galilee in Capernaum, uh, they sat down for dinner and Jesus asked them a question. He said, by the way, what were you guys arguing about along the road? Now, anytime Jesus asks you a question, just know that he already knows the answer, okay? And so he's like, what were you guys talking about? And it says uh, in Mark 9, verse 34, it says they kept silent because on the way they had argued about who was the greatest. I'm going to be better than you. No, I'm going to be better than you. I'm going to be here. No, I'm going to be here. And so they were fighting and arguing over who was going to be the greatest. As they were coming down through Jericho, now they're leaving Galilee. They're going down to Jericho. They're going to make that upward ascent into Jerusalem where Jesus would die. As they were coming on that last week through Jericho, one of the disciples' moms, uh, you know, gets in the conversation. And she goes to Jesus and says, hey, I got two boys. I'd like one to be on the right and one on the left. All right. I mean, it's pretty bad when your mom gets involved with this. I mean, come on now. And, and so mom is like positioning. I want them on the C-suite. I want them, you know, uh, C-O-O-C, whatever O, you know, I want, I want them up there, right? And of course, when the other guys find out about it, they're just furious, can't believe you got your mom involved, man. Come on, that's a low blow, man. And then Jesus has to stop, calm the crowd, and talk to his disciples. And he said, uh, whoever wants to become great among you must first be a servant. And then they make the trek up to Jerusalem. And they settle in the upper room for the last meal. 
and guess what they're talking about? Luke's gospel tells us that the guys were sitting around the table and it says this in Luke 22, a dispute arose among them as to which of them was considered to be the greatest. All they could think about was being great. All they could think about was who was gonna, who was gonna be at the top? What was the pecking order? Who was gonna be, you know, uh, recognized and known and seen and empowered? That's all, all they could think about. Now, let me just stop, stop the show here, stop the movie here, stop the story here for just a minute and say this. Some of you understand this because you are wired this way, all right? You just are a driven person. You are just a type A driver. You go to bed at night thinking, okay, man, I got to win this thing. I got to move this, this situation. I got to advance here. I got to close this deal. I got to take it to the next level. You, you hate, you don't even want to lose, you know, at, at, at batgammon, you know, or checkers or something. You're just like intense all the time. You are a driven person. And so you understand how you could be kind of sucked into wanting to be great. And there are others of you that are like, I don't even think about that at all, all right? That is like not even on my radar that I would ever think about being great. That's not how my mind works. So here's the deal. Whether you are wired that way or whether you are not, God really wants you to be great in his eyes. And greatness in God's eyes is very different than how we define greatness today. It's incredibly different. And so Jesus really begins to put greatness on display. So let's look at how he displays greatness. Look at verse four. He says, he got up from supper, laid aside his outer clothing, took a towel, and tied it around him. Next, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet and dry them with the towel tied around him. This was a special night. It was the Passover. I don't know about you, but we have a certain meal in our family that we celebrate where we bring out grandma's china, you know, and it's only out for this one meal. And we decorate the table the same way. We eat the same thing. Uh, we've been doing this since the girls were, were tiny. And it's just our tradition to say this meal is special. This night is special. Well, that's what it was like for the Jewish people. The Passover meal was the special meal. It was like the Thanksgiving of their, of their calendar. It was a special meal. And so when they went to the upper room, it would have been laid out differently. Most likely they were seated around what they call a triclinium. A triclinium was an arrangement of small tables. Think about the height of a coffee table. And there were pillows and uh, kind of around it. And so you would literally lay on your side, kind of propped up on your elbow. And that put your mouth about right even with the table. And guys, you're going to think this is awesome. You're going to want one of these in your house. You would just kind of shovel the food right off the plate, right into your mouth. I mean, how great is that? You don't have to do the work of lifting, you know. You could just shovel it right into your mouth. Well, that, that's, that's what a triclinium was, right? So they're, they're lounging, but you got to understand if you're lounging like this, your feet are probably close to somebody's face. And that's not really cool if you're walking everywhere and stepping in everything. And so there would always be a servant there waiting. And when you walked in the door, they would loosen your sandals and lift them off your feet. They would wash your feet. And then you could go and recline. And so that was just how it was. But this night, there was no servant. 
This night, the guys are debating over who's going to be the greatest, so they're certainly not going to wash somebody else's feet. And so they just take their place and they just start to eat. And Jesus sees this played out after multiple conversations of greatness. They still don't get it. So he decides to put it on display. And Jesus took off his outer clothing. He took a towel and wrapped it around his waist. And he picked up a basin, maybe much like this one. And he began to wash their feet. I have this uh, basin and this towel in my office. If you've ever been in my office, you know it sits there. And it sits there as a reminder to me of what leadership is really like, what greatness is really like. It's about humble service. And Jesus took this position of, of humble service. You know, we don't wash feet today. You know, that's not our common practice, but... I, I would imagine that it's pretty humbling to have somebody wash your feet. Don't you think? It's a pretty humbling thing. I had an experience. I've told you the story before, but I think it's, it's relevant. I, I had a story. I remember years ago I was in, I was in uh, Zambia and I was preaching at uh, a church there. We have a church plant there now. But we were preaching, I was preaching at this church and they had a building, a small building and then they had this big tent. And so the worship service happened under the tent because they had outgrown their building. And so everyone was there, the singing was going on, the place was packed, I was ready to preach, I had my sermon ready to go. And uh, about halfway through the service, the, the pastor tapped me on the shoulder and did like this. So I followed him out, out of the tent, into the building and I, he had a, a young girl, maybe about 10 years old, eight years old, something like that with him. And he instructed her to get down and to clean my shoes, to polish my shoes. Now I had suede shoes on. These things were not gonna be polished, all right? But she got down there and did the best she could. And I just have to admit, it was a little awkward just standing there while she's trying to clean my shoes. But if you really wanna get a picture of what happened on this night, Imagine if that pastor, because he was dressed to the nines, imagine if he had taken off his suit jacket, he had loosened his cufflinks and rolled up his dress shirt, loosened up his tie, and imagine him getting down at my feet and polishing my dirty shoes. If you can imagine that, you can imagine what it was like that night. I'm just sure that when, when Jesus went to each guy, it was silent. I, they already knew what they'd been talking about. They already knew what was on their mind. They knew what they were discussing and debating. And for Jesus to be the one to, to wash their feet, they just couldn't believe it. In fact, when it gets to Peter, Peter does a little pushing back. I mean, just look at it in verse six. It says, he came to Simon Peter and Peter asked him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus answered him, what I'm doing, you don't realize now, but afterward you will understand. That's really true. Peter didn't get it. What Jesus was doing that night in, in just his condescension and humility and washing their feet was really a foreshadowing of the ultimate act of service that he was going to provide at the cross. Because just as that night he was making a decision to humble himself, in just a few hours he would make another decision to go to the cross. 
Just as he took off his outer clothing and, and humbled himself in just a few hours, they would rip those clothes off of him and scourge him beyond recognition. Just as he poured the water into the basin in just a few moments and few hours, he's going to be pouring out his life's blood at the foot of that cross. And just as Jesus took a towel and dried off their feet as a sign that the job was done, in just a few days, the burial cloak that covered Jesus' bodies would be folded neatly and placed on the corner as an indication that at his resurrection, the job had been completed. He was foreshadowing his greatest act of service. So Jesus puts on display this greatness and then he punctuates his actions with his words. And I'm sure these words were seared in their minds. Look at what Jesus says um, in verse 12. He said, and when Jesus had washed their feet and put on his outer clothing, he reclined again and said to them, do you know what I've done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are speaking rightly since that is what I am. So if I, your Lord and teacher, has washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done for you. Now, I don't believe that Jesus was giving us instruction that we need to institute some kind of practice of perpetual foot washing. Uh, I, we don't see this in the early church. We don't practice that today. There are some churches that, that do. I don't think that's really what he's saying there. But I do think what he was telling us uh, is, let me just define greatness for you. Greatness is not defined as you think it is, guys. You've been talking about greatness. Who's going to be the greatest? Who's going to be the greatest? Let me set the definition for you. By the way, Jesus is the one that defines greatness, not us. All right, we tend to pervert it. We tend to redefine greatness for our culture. But Jesus is the one that gets to set the definition. And, and if those don't square off, we're wrong, not Jesus, okay? Jesus is the one that sets the definition. And this is what he's saying in his actions. Great people serve people. That's it. Great people serve people. Greatness is defined in your service. I'm your teacher. I'm your Lord. Yes, but I have chosen to demonstrate greatness in this attitude of serving you. And you're great if you serve others. Great people serve people. That's so upside down, right, from our culture, right? Because we think the higher up we go, the more servants we have. The higher, more prominent we are, the greater we are, the more people serve us. I was reading an article this week about uh, famous people and the crazy jobs they have staff to serve them. All right, well, the crazy jobs they have their staff to, uh, to serve them. For example, Justin Bieber has someone paid just to hold his pizza and his Coke for him so it's ready when he gets off the stage. All right, just a pizza and Coke holder. I don't know what he gets paid, but there's a guy that that's his job, all right? Um, Maria, Mariah Carey has someone that literally walks in front of her and he's walking backward so that in case she trips, he's there to catch her, the human catcher. That's what she has. She pays somebody to do that. There, Mark Wahlberg has a person paid just to wake him up. He is a human alarm clock. 
Some of you, you say, man, I, that's me. I'm a parent. I'm a human alarm clock. I do that for free. Uh, rapper P. Diddy pays someone just to hold an umbrella over his head. So if it drizzles, he doesn't get wet. Okay, rocker Rod Stewart has a whole team that goes into his hotel room and darkens the room and sets the temperature just right, just so he can take a well-deserved nap, okay? And then I guess the, the one that holds the cake is, uh, uh, is the Prince Charles. He actually has a team of people that undresses him and, and helps him get ready for bed every single night. Now listen. Every one of these guys, they think, man, I'm great. I'm, I'm some of the greatest of all time. I need people to serve me. You know what Jesus said about that? In Mark 10, verse 45, he said, for even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He said, listen, if there's ever a greatest of all time, if there's someone that should be the greatest and should be served, it's me. I stepped out of heaven. I took on form God in flesh. And he said, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve. That's what real greatness is like. Greatness people serve people. Greatness is not what you think it is. It's not climbing the ladder. It's descending the ladder. It's not exercising your power, but it's divesting yourself of your power. It's not lifting a trophy, but it's lifting up and carrying a cross. It's not having throngs of people wait on your beck and call, but for you to humbly serve others. And I believe that the more prominent a position you have, the more overt your acts of greatness must become in service. You must choose to be a servant. You must choose to serve others. So after he gives that new definition of greatness, then he just gives a, a directive. Look at verse 16. He said, I tell you, a servant is not greater than his master and a messenger is not greater than the one who sent him. And if you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. He said, we've already established I'm the master, I'm the Lord, and I have done this. You're not greater than me, all right? Let's, you're not greater than me and I have humbly served you. Then you need to follow my example. And then he says this, this word here that really pivots it for me, really gives a new insight. He says, and if you do this, you will be blessed. In other words, the secret to living a blessed life, a rich life, a great life, is in service to others. That's what greatness looks like. You say, well, Craig, what, what, how, how would that be played out? in my life. Let me, let me just give a little hypothetical scenario, okay? Let's say you're a person that's pretty much kind of self-absorbed, okay? You're not really thinking about serving others. You're thinking more about people serving you. What would that look like in your life? Okay, so let's say you wake up in the morning and the first thing you think about is all the things I got to do. I got to do this. I got to do that. I get to get this deal done. I've got to crush this presentation. I've got to uh, hire this person. I got to deal with this problem. I got to advance our company. I got to do whatever the thing is uh, that I need to do. It's all what you need to do that day. 
You get up, you go to the gym, you put your earbuds in, you don't really pay attention to anybody uh, that takes care of you. In fact, you're a little perturbed if they don't immediately greet you and hand you the towel as you walk in the gym door. Uh, you do your thing, you leave, you get home, you shower off, you get in the car headed for work, and it's like NASCAR. You're riding up on someone's rear end. Come on, man, can't you move over? We got places to go here. When they're driving the speed limit, all right? Uh, then, then you decide to whip in for your morning coffee, and you're like, come on, come on, come on. We got to get this done. We got to get this done. And if it's not done just as you want, with the double pump of espresso and the extra oat milk and all the special you know, items that you want in your coffee, then you're a little upset and perturbed by it. You finally get to work and it's boom, boom, push, push, drive, drive, uh, make things happen. You don't really give much thought to the people around you. And then when you finally get home at night, you're worn out, you drop your bag at the door, you, you flip on the TV, you don't give them a whole lot of thought to the needs of the family. And then at night, you go to bed thinking about what you got to do tomorrow. Now, let me ask you something. Is that a blessed life? Are you being a blessing to anybody? Now, let's invert that for a minute. Let's turn that upside down. Let's say you get up in the morning and the first thing is, God, thank you that you woke me up today. Thank you, God. There's another opportunity to walk with you, to know and follow you. God, help me to be sensitive to the people around me. You get up, you spend time in God's word, you journal down what God said to you. You hide those things in your heart. You go to the gym and, uh, and, and you greet the person at the gym and say, hey man, thank you so much for handing me this towel. Hope you have a great day. And you're just being open to encourage the people around you. Get home, you shower off, uh, you head to the office and it's not like NASCAR. In fact, a guy cut you off and you didn't even say a single cuss word. <laughs> Must be the Holy Spirit, right? And then uh, you pull over for your coffee and instead of, you know, hurry up, hurry up, you know, you, you're glad to take a step back and let somebody be served. And, and when you take it, you say, man, have a great day. You're doing such a great job. Keep it up. You get to work and yeah, there's things to do. You've got work to do, but you, you try to make sure you have sidebar conversation throughout the day. Hey, I know that your, your, your mom's in the hospital. How's she doing? Once well, you know, I've been praying for her. Hey, I know your kid's struggling in this area and I just want you to know my wife and I have really been thinking about you and praying for you. And you try to be sensitive to the people around you and they're, the things they're going through. You get home and you drop your bag, you roll up your sleeves, you go to work. How can I help with dinner? How can I help with the homework? How can I, how can I serve you? And then when you finally lay down your, on your pillow at night, you say, God, thank you for a day to know you and be used by you. Now, let me ask you, is that a blessed life? If you could string those days together, wouldn't that be a blessed life? Now, wouldn't that be a great life? Because, see, that's what true greatness is. Great people serve people. They're not being served. They serve those great people, serve people. Why don't you bow your heads with me for just a minute? Maybe as you evaluate your own life, you may say, you know what, I, I tend to want to be served. <laughs> And I don't really tend to serve others well. Then maybe, 
maybe you'd say, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm pushing to try to be great in people's eyes, but I'm not really that great in God's eyes. Then why don't you deal with the Lord in that today? God, make me great in your eyes. God, help me be a servant just like you. Jesus came to serve. Jesus came to give his life as a ransom. That's really the heart of the gospel. You see, the Bible tells us that, that we have sinned against God. We have gone our own way. We have lost our way. And because of our sin, if we die in our sin, we're separated from God forever. But Jesus came on a rescue mission to deal with our sin and to forgive our sin. And so he came and he revealed the Father and he revealed what greatness looked like. And then he went to a cross. And on that cross, Jesus died in your place. He died as payment for your sin. He said, I love you so much. I'm going to give my own life for you. That's what the Bible means. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. He died. He rose again on the third day, showing himself alive to hundreds of people over 40 days. He ascended to the right hand of the Father. And even now, he gives you an opportunity to say yes to him. In simple faith, to say yes. And for some of you, you've never done that. You've never asked Jesus to forgive you, to be the leader of your life. But today's your day. Today's your opportunity. This is your moment. I can't promise that you'll have another one, but I can promise you, you have this one. That today you can say, Lord, forgive me of my sin. Lord, come into my life. Lord, I want to choose to follow you. And I want to give you an opportunity to do that right now. So with heads bowed, in just a minute, I'm going to ask you to lift up your hand if you want to receive Christ. I'm not going to call you out. But that, it just even the lifting of that hand is an act of faith saying, Lord, I'm trusting you. I need you. I need you to change me. Make me a new person. Wash my sin away. And so, if today, right now, the Spirit of God's convicting you, if today, God's drawing you, if today, you hear God's voice saying, this is your moment, then just right where you're seated, just lift up your hand, Pastor, pray for me, and I will see that hand, and I will lead you in a, right where you're seated to receive Christ. So right now, just lift it up. Right now, Pastor, pray for me. I just need Jesus in my life. Lift up your hand high so I can see it. All right? Okay, all right, thank you. Anybody else? Pastor, pray for me. I need Jesus in my life. I want to receive Christ right now, all right? Thank you. Anybody else? Lift up your hand. Okay. All right, you can put your hand down now. Just pray the simple prayer with me. Dear Lord, I know that I've sinned against you. And I know I've gone my own way. But I believe that Jesus died on the cross for me. And I believe he rose again from the dead. So I'm asking you now, please forgive me. Please wash me clean. Today I choose to turn from my sin to you. And I want to follow you all the days of my life. Lord, thank you for loving me. And Father, I, I pray for all of us here in this room, God, that as we go into this week, 
and many of us start school. Many of us are, are teachers and educators are going, going back to work and, and school. Lord, as we start kind of a new fall, Lord, I pray that you would give us the mindset of a servant to truly be great in your eyes. Not by our position or our popularity online, but the way we serve and really care and have compassion for the people around us. God, make us great like that, like Jesus. Fill us with your spirit, God, this week. Help us to serve others. Help us to be a mirror that brightly reflects you to the people in our life. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, uh, amen.